0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football The show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game And is very much looking forward to finding out What the bloody hell non-fungible means Uh, I'm Kevin Day, he's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire And Kieran, I hear you'll be actually at Liverpool University soon
1: Yes, yes, uh, term starts, so I'm uh, I'm looking forward to doing some face-to-face teaching, having done it mm. via Zoom for 18 months, where you start off with half the people are, have got their pictures on Zoom, um, and then by sort of 20 minutes later, you're down to 5%, and I know I'm competing with, with uh, Instagram and Angry Birds, and I'm pretty much onto a loser there.
0: Yes, well, we'll be talking about your Zoom photograph later on. in our interview, but, uh, It's nice to know that the old home in Sussex will be a little quieter without spreadsheets rustling and Susie and the Banshees blaring out of the speakers. It'll just be the gentle sound of corks being popped and thinly gnawing on a wonky chomp. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, later in the show, we will hear from Steve Shipman of the Oldham Athletic fan group Push the Boundary, but it's Newsday, Kieran. There's not much news today, but most of it is um, a little bit weird. Actually. Yes. Um, and the first story, the first story is not that weird, to be perfectly honest. Weirdness comes afterwards. But the South American Football Confederation has joined UEFA in opposing the idea of a World Cup every two years.
1: Yeah, this, this is very strange because in 2018, Conmebol, uh, um, which is the South African Confederation, said uh, yeah. they, they they were keen to promote a FIFA World Cup every two years, and now they've joined up with UEFA uh, and and the what they've said is that there is no sporting justification in holding the tournaments so, so frequently. Um, UEFA uh, Alexander Severin who is the uh, the head of UEFA is threatening a boycott if if it moves to this um and Jurgen Klopp uh, I think has summed it up in uh, I, th- I think he reads my tweets he says uh, in the end it's all about money that's how it is and uh, mm. yeah I, I think he's he's exactly right um FIFA are jealous of the amount of money that UEFA generates from both the Champions League and uh, the European Championships um, and FIFA only generates money every once every four years. So by uh, by doubling the number of tournaments, you, you double the amount of cash, as far as they are concerned. And uh, they they've got the uh, the support of the the African Confederation, the the Asian Confederation, the Caribbean Confederation, and so on. So it, it, now it's going to come down to uh, a vote. Uh, And I think you need a two-thirds majority in order to to put through something of this significance. But it's going to be pretty much borderline. Uh, I think FIFA has 211 uh, countries who are affiliated to it, uh, each of whom get an annual payout. From FIFA mm-hmm. which is linked to FIFA's financial success so uh, you know if, if I was uh, the Cook Islands or uh, you know, Nicaragua or or, or Nepal y- you can see why these uh, why, why these local associations or local domestic associations are in favor of of a world cup every 2 years because it means more money for them and and you know Jurgen Klopp's exactly right it, but it's not it's not just money it's also power control and politics which which were of course the the driving forces behind project big picture and the super league franchise.
0: Mm. It's it's a good job we know Kieran that every football association within FIFA will take the money they get and distribute it fairly around football in their country. We can rest assured safe in that knowledge, now I said South America, you said South Africa, so already the BAFTA's gone for this. Oh, pod. sorry,
1: sorry, no, I meant to it, say South America. Yeah, they go yeah.
0: South America. Fine, okay. This is this is yeah, make a note. Yet another one we shouldn't send to the BAFTA committee. <laughs> <laughs> um, now this, I'm, I'm going to have to take your word for this that this is an actual thing, Kieran, because guy yes. hasn't guy hasn't convinced me. Uh, it says here that La Liga is about to start selling non fungible tokens. Um, it's not my favourite word. So, sorry, darling, it's non-fungible. Um, I also like the fact the producer guy wrote it in his email as NFT, and he f- he forgets I'm arts. So I assumed he was talking about some sort of series of football documentaries at the National Film Theatre. Uh, no, it's was non-fungible token. So does that mean there are fungible tokens, Kieran? Or is that um, money?
1: Fu- fungible is yes. uh, sort of has, – has, has, has some sort of real – reality to them. So the, these things, it's effectively the same as Panini cards without the card. And it is as dafted as it sounds, but what you need is if you find enough gullible people around, you can sell them the equivalent of magic beans in the sense that you say, I'm going to give you um, ownership of a, uh, of a Cristiano Ronaldo uh, Panini card, or the equivalent of, and there's only one of them around, and we're going to agree that you own it, and everybody else is going to agree that you own it. And, and whilst there's enough people believing that you own this Cristiano Ronaldo card, it, it has so, some value because in theory you can sell it to somebody else. Um, so, so that's the that's the basis behind these and you will be able to trade them you will be able to buy and sell them there will be a market um we are is, is this got, this sort of brings up memories of football index to me uh, mm. in, in the sense that uh, they're, they're trying to create a market for something which doesn't physically exist um but if the if the football authorities buy into it and yeah, you know, some of the footballers—they're giving their names to it uh, as well. Then people start to believe in it, and yeah, you know, I've always, um, I've always taken the sort of my concerns always, but sort of you know, the, the Goebbels uh, uh, b- believe that if you tell a lie enough, mm. it then becomes the truth, and, mm. and if people believe that these NFTs, and all that you will get is you got an email which says you now own. The online version of Cristiano Ronaldo, or uh, you know, or, or, you know other, other players exist, of course. Yeah, you know, Messi and Wilfred Zaha, and so on. And you, you'll you'll be able to do this um, and, and claim ownership. But people say, "Well, hold on, well, what exactly have you got? You've you paid a lot of money mm-hmm. for the equivalent of an email."
0: You do realize you've put an idea into producer guys' head here: invisible merchandise. <laughs> 15 quid for an invisible t-shirt uh, no I, I sent it did you not get an envelope i got an envelope but There but was no t-shirt in it yeah, it's invisible no, it's, not, it's not it's non-fungible it's inside you can not, not looked hard enough it's not <laughs> so fungible is tangible essentially then is it the same width? yeah
1: yeah um fungible is that uh, they try to make it it's it's unique um, something which is fungible is if, you know, if, 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 I've got two cans of baked beans, they're, they're, they're effectively what are called fungible assets in the sense that yeah they both contain baked beans. And as far as everybody else is concerned, those, those beans are identical to one another. A non-fungible means that it is a unique token that you are buying. So it's a bit like a unique panini card.
0: Well, oh, it's like Dr. Nick in the Simpsons, isn't it? Inflammable means flammable. What a country. Um... Another weird one, Kieran. It's been revealed that Neymar is being paid half a million euros a month. Not to talk about religion.
1: Yes, uh, this is uh, quite quite spectacular. Really, mm. um, I, I found this, and 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 I kid you not, through reading a copy of Premier Christian News. Mm. Um and uh they they uh they brought to my attention the ethical clause mm. in Neymar's contract, which is worth um yeah, around about six six million euro a year, um whereby he will get a bonus provided he does not make political or religious propaganda that could damage the image and unity of the club, mm. and he also has to be courteous, punctual, friendly, and available to fans. Now, mm. if if producer guy wants to give us six million quid a year to be courteous, punctual, friendly, and available to fans, I, I think I think we need to
0: get your agent to start negotiations with him. Well, we've been throwing it away for nothing, Kieran. We've been courteous and available for, for zilch. We've we've really missed a trick there. It's it's a strange one because I I checked the clause when when you told me about it, and it it's it makes you know must be polite about cultural ref I mean, these are all things that you'd expect people to be, but it's it's an interesting one because he he is he is very religious. He's a he's a committed Christian and he has been seen quite often in the past with Christian messages on on T shirts. So it's an odd, I'm slightly um am ambivalent about this. I mean I'd like you say I'd love to be paid half a million euros a month for not to talk about religion but I would. I would like to have been at the discussion. We've Well, I suppose the half a million euros is the important part of that conversation, isn't it? But yes. uh, you, you you would. You would guess that he's not the only player being asked to uh, sign clauses like this.
1: Um, yes, and, and it's also got the word political about it. So yes, yes. You know, if if he came out and said that he is unhappy with the awarding of the 2022 World Cup to Qatar. Yeah. Um, uh, then um, you, you could see that might cause issues at uh, at PSG. Or so you know, clubs are always trying to build up uh, positive relationships. We are living in a, in a in an era of cancel culture. So if he says something which was anti religion, then you've got all of the. yeah, you know. You know if Forty to fifty percent of the US is sort of, uh, you know, Christian evangelists, uh, yes, you know, yeah, yeah, um, and and they tend to be quite sensitive about things. So, so it, it's very easy to to disenfranchise people uh, who are from the permanently offended uh, school of thought, mm-hmm. of, of which there are more and more of them. Um, but what what I really did like uh, reading Premier Christian News is um, at the bottom of the article. Um, there was a prayer that we could say uh, together, uh, and, and I'm, and I'm not—I'm uh, you know, I'm not being facetious here. There's, there was a prayer uh, for Neymar, and you could like that prayer as well, and it had 253 likes when I last looked. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you know, it, it clearly is a—it's uh, it, a website which uh, is uh, takes its views seriously, and uh, uh, you know, as an atheist, I. I my, my view is, in all things, is, is just respect other people's views. But mm. it, it certainly is a stranger.
0: Uh, uh, it, it's a strange clause. Yeah, it sounds like Finley, the, the dog, is praying for wonky jumps <laughs> as, as we speak. Yes, you <laughs> imagine that, Kieran, if you and I were permanently offended. I mean, we've got a right to be with some of the emails we get sent, but <laughs> it, just shrug it off, really. Um, now, this story is not only weird, Kieran, but also oh. annoying. Um, was that a yawn?
1: <laughs> it was Finley. <laughs> has he had a busy?
0: Has he had a busy morning?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. He's he's been licking his non-testicles and he's he's got bored.
0: <laughs> you would, Kieran. Yes. You would. Um, UEFA have banned Ajax from from wearing a Bob Marley inspired kit. I'm really sad about this story, Kieran.
1: Yeah, this is this is. It was such a wonderful story when it, when it came out. So. Um, a few years ago Ajax were playing at uh, I, th- I think it was an away friendly or something and mm. somebody put three little birds by bob marley on, on the on the tannoy before the match started and everybody started singing it for mm. you know as as these things have a habit of doing and then it sort of became adopted by a section of the Ajax fan base um, and uh, as, a, as a you know as a, as a homage to to a great great man mm. um um they came up with an agreement with uh adidas that on the um on on what's referred to under article 7 paragraph 1901 of the uh fifa rule book as the collar zone i.e., yeah, that little bit at the back of your collar um yeah. they were going to put three little birds in red yellow and green or one color to me um sure. and yeah. that that was it and, and you, know, you you would have thought, and you know, they announced this and everybody thought it was a great idea, and it sold four times as much, four times as many units as any other uh, Adidas Ajax kit. So, you know, Adidas are happy, Ajax are happy, the people who are buying it are happy because, you know, they, they've got this this very tenuous association between Bob Marley uh, and the football club. And also, it's it's a great looking shirt, it has to be mm. said. Um, And then the completely humorless po-faced people at FIFA, at UEFA, said, oh, you can't do that because uh, the Collar Zone can only have a manufacturer's logo or a sponsor's advertisement. So those are the areas which can be formally formally, uh, at at the back of the shirt, at the Collar Zone. Um, So therefore, when ix play in ua for competitions they have to have a specially made kit which doesn't contain the three little birds but i believe that the retail version because it's flying off the shelves made by Adidas, uh still has those
0: what a sensible thing for ix to do would be just to start a company called three little birds and say they're sponsoring them can they do that would that yeah yeah that 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 would work yeah hmm. i've had a, i've inadvertently had a sensible business idea <laughs> uh, I remember seeing Bob Marley at the Crystal Palace Bowl uh, and just as the sun was setting, it was just one of the most, oh, amazing, wow. one of the most amazing gigs I've ever been at. It's fantastic. Um, on the subject of kits as well, Kieran, and this is our last story this week before our quite emotional interview, uh, there'll be no more green kits in Serie R and this is obviously of great interest to you.
1: Yes, Um it, it, it was initially sold, uh, or tenuously sold, as being linked to colourblind people not being able to distinguish a green kit uh, against a green grass. But mm. yeah, you know, I'm to thinking. Hold on, you know. Well, first of all, I, I, I see a different world to the rest of the, the rest of the planet.
0: Um, to be fair, Karen, that's not just because of the colour <laughs> Yes
1: um but uh, yeah i'd imagine you as having full color vision you also see green on green and it probably hasn't made much of a difference so um we sort of dug a little bit deeper into this and apparently it's more to do with that green was causing problems in respect of those moving adverts which go around the side of pitches when when the tv cameras were on it because it was causing some form of blur with the green and green and the the uh, the, the advertising uh, hoardings so yeah as always it comes down to money the advertisers weren't happy right. you know, if, if a fan's unhappy about something we'll, we'll just whinge on a podcast or on social media yeah. and nothing gets yeah. done as uh, soon as the sponsors uh, start uh, you know the advertisers start complaining um something gets done straight away so uh, from 22 23 uh, if you have a mainly green kit it will be outlawed i think there's one club that has green and black stripes but uh, the the italian football authorities have 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 de- decreed that that is mainly black, so that that will be acceptable. Um, but there's there's much broader issues in respect of uh, color blindness. Uh, for anybody that was watching the Manchester United match last night, um, you you could not make out the numbers of the mm-hmm. um, of, of the the numbers of the players' shirts uh, because of the way that the the broad tone and it's a tonal issue when you're colorblind was very similar to that of the shirts themselves and for you know for most people that their, their colorblindness experience in life was you know at at the age of uh you know six at school somebody shows you half a dozen cards with numbers on and if you can read the numbers you're fine and if the number you can't read the numbers you uh, you are deemed to be colorblind, and certainly that that was the case with me. And I remember going home in tears that day because mm. the the woman who done this said uh, that you do realize this you, you'll never be able to be a train driver, which was my ambition mm. in life at, at the age of six, and and rightly so. Um, and, and that that was that. So um, the problem with uh, with with color is uh, is much broader. Um, but unfortunately, now we are living in an era where club football kits are predominantly to do with raising money and Mm. far less to do with being able to distinguish one club uh, from another. Uh, I think that money will be driving this, although some progress is being made.
0: I have to be honest, Kieran, I've been rather surprised by the amount of correspondence we had since you first mentioned colour blindness. And again, I'll be perfectly honest, it's not an issue that occupied much of my mind before Uh, knowing you and it's not an issue that I realised had financial implications as well because there are many, many, many colourblind football fans who are paying the same amount of money that I am to watch uh, football on BT or on Sky and they're not getting the same experience. So this is an issue that we're going to explore further next week when we talk to Catherine Albany-Ward, who's the founder of Colourblind Awareness, who I'm told, Kieran, is um, quite feisty. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, she's, she's brilliant <laughs>
1: Catherine I've, I've had chats with Catherine she's, uh, she, she
0: stands up for the course superbly good uh, interview time um, we've joked in months gone by about how often we mentioned Derby County and Sheffield Wednesday uh, sadly in recent weeks we've talked just as much about Oldham Athletic and that's never a good sign I'm afraid so we spoke to Steve Shipman from Push the Boundary uh, for a chat about life at Boundary Park Steve, thank you so much uh, for talking to us. It's it's lovely to talk to you, except it's it's not really, because we only talk to people when their club's in trouble, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, indeed. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having us. And, you know, thanks for
0: highlighting the, the, the plight that we're going through. Yeah, bef- before we talk about that trouble, Steve, just tell us a little bit about your club and how long you've supported them.
2: Um, I was starting to support them in around... Um, Sort of the, probably the late '80s. So I kind of I've got I've got vague memories of the of the kind of the pinching season in '89 '90, <laughs> um, and I followed the, the season that we actually went up. Um, my first ever game was actually the uh, was Roger Palmer's testimonial testimonial, which was the last game that the Chatty End was was all standing as well. So I was on my dad's shoulders on the uh, on the uh, under the floodlights. And uh, we beat City three two, uh, and that was that was the game to sort of celebrate his time at the club and and, um, and promotion. So literally, I joined at the very very peak. I think since then it's just been it's just been downhill. To be honest, <laughs> gradually, you, gradually downhill. But that's uh, that's escalated in the last few years.
0: You've probably got vague memories of relegating us from the Premier League then, when you had to win all three of your last games, and we had to get a point, and you did yours, and we didn't do ours. Yeah,
2: that was um, yeah, that was the one. That was a
0: hell of a week. Yeah, three three wins in a week was um, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it was it was partly our team's fault for doing a lap of honour before you played any of those three games, which the Palace fans let them know in no uncertain terms. Now, listen, Steve, in the opening paragraph of Push the Boundaries mission statement, you say that fans of this club have for far too long been ignored and treated with contempt by the owners of the club. For some of our listeners well dry, just to remind us who those owners are and how this situation has come to this. Um, I mean, technically, there's
2: one owner. So, you know, the guy whose name's on the door is Abdallah Lemsigam, Um, But he sort of works in collaboration with his brother, uh, Mohammed Lamsegam, uh, And they've been in situ since and took over the club at the end of January in 20, 2018.
0: Yeah, and how did the relationship begin, and how has it deteriorated so badly? Um, I mean, when they when they
2: came in, there was, there was there were rumors that there was a sale going through, and, and that that was probably coming through around towards towards the um, probably September October time of uh, of twenty seventeen, so start of the season. So they were kind of making decisions behind the scenes as, as the sale was going through, and and there was there was the odd sort of rumble of fight, like, you know staff members leaving. Um, and, and I think a lot of that was attributed to the fact that maybe, you know, he was just getting his own people in and, and maybe he's clearing out some of the people from the old regime, which, you know, you sort of give a little a bit of leeway for that. Um, and then there was a game against Blackpool when we lost the game 2-1. We started the season poorly under um under John Sheridan. And um he only named, I think it was, I think he named three or four substitutions, uh, substitutes. Um, and it, the rumor was that that was because it was kind of a he was standing his ground against the the number of of trialists that were mm. coming through the door, um, you know, substandard trialists that were, hadn't been approved by the manager. Um, and lo and behold, I think a few games later, John Sheridan um, sort of left by mutual consent, and we got Richie Wellens in. And um, so that that was kind of when it when it started to we started to see things. I think. Um, it probably escalated when we got to the end of the 17 season when we got relegated uh, against Northampton. And the, we'd, had, we'd had an ever-present player called Usman Fain who, who was a central midfielder. And for the last two games, he was left out of the squad. Um, and I think it was, there was an article that was done in, I think it was May or June 2018, um, by a, a journalist that, that follows Oldham. And he was basically said that he'd had a falling out with the with the chairman in the dressing room after one of the league games, and he was never to be seen again. You know, he'd left the club, and, and that was that. Um, and we got relegated, so it was then it was like the, the rumours of interference um, started to started to raise their head. Really, right. do the supporters trust? Still only three percent. Yeah the, the, yeah, the Sports Trust and now the foundation, they own 3%. That was gifted to the club back in 2004 when we when we came out of administration. Um, so they are, yeah, they, they've still got 3% non-voting shares. Uh, right. So their are B, B
0: shares in, in the football club, yeah. And is it right that in the deal in which he bought the club, that didn't include the North Stand? Because I'm aware of situations like my own club, Palace, where we didn't own the freehold of the whole ground. But that's a strange situation if you don't own one stand. Um, well, we don't own the ground.
2: Um, ah. But I guess the, the situation with that is, and it, is, there's a lot of misconceptions about this, um, we've not owned the stadium since 1999. Um, so we've rented it for a, a considerable amount of time. What What happened was um, we tried to move grounds uh, in 2000, around 2008. So we we bought a, uh, the council bought some land um, and we were going to redevelop on that land, but it turns out that there was a I think there was a war memorial on there or something, so mm. um, we couldn't build on it. So as a result, um, the the council sort of held their hands up and said, "Well, we've messed up here. We we will um, we will buy the land back off you, um, and you can. We'll give you some money to redevelop Boundary Park." um so that took sort of place and that's how we've ended up with with the one new stand that we've got the north stand um and yeah the 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 current incumbent chairman um is responsible for the rent on that um, so effectively we rent the uh it's rented back to the club on a, on a, on a match day but every other time it's owned by somebody
0: else can, so I just bring, poor, really. <laughs> yeah, can I just bring, Kieran, can I just bring you in on, on that? Because it's very difficult. I mean, you, you're losing a lot of match day income for a start-off when a lot of it's going on rent, and it's very difficult to move the ground forward when you don't own it, isn't it?
1: Yes, if, if you take a look at uh, other clubs who are renting the ground, especially under the terms of many of the rental agreements, they, they've they've not got a lot of power. You, you know, I, know, I know it's on a different scale, but part of the beef that West Ham fans have is that since moving to the London stadium, they've been unable to push things through as quickly as they'd like. And that's caused a lot of resentment. Um, there's, there's ways of it's a horrible word, but it's, it's a necessary word these days. There's ways of monetizing a stadium. If you own it, you yeah, know, turning it into a 365 day uh, facility use of conference and the fans tend to buy into that because they see it as being their stadium as opposed to you know just a a, a revenue earner for somebody else
0: yeah thanks i was slightly distracted there steve because we're doing this on zoom for technical reasons and the, the picture of kieran that comes up is him in a full brighton kit in doing doing the complete John Terry by the look of it. Um, I'm, very, I'm,
1: not, I'm not selling tickets to, uh,
0: the, to, to, the... to, to show people around the ground. You look like you're looking up and about to hit a 30-yard pass. Kendrick. You look like the first two yards are in the head. <laughs> You've reached that stage <laughs> of your career with the first two yards <laughs> in the head. Um, uh, Steve, uh, Abdallah Lemsingham seems determined to ramp up tension with the fans, he's responded very badly to the peaceful protests that have been going on. He's tried to stop some of them getting into home games and the away game. Orion, or why do you think he's doing this? I and mean, because he's open letter perhaps you can tell us about that as well. Because that ramped up tensions even further. What, what's his position? Why won't he communicate with you? What's what's, what's the, the problem in general? It's.
2: I think. I mean, we've we've as a group we've tried to engage with the club for around 18 months now so we're trying to get them to the table to say let's let's talk about these issues you know we're we're raising red flags whether it's you know winding up petitions whether it's unpaid tax bills whether it's reports of late wages or turnover of managers and they've always upheld us us, as in us as a group and us as in the supporters um, at arm's length and he, he just doesn't seem to want to address or take any responsibility for any of the mistakes that have been made in that time. And I think up until very recently, you know, before these protests started, he was, he was insistent that, he, you know, the people that have got an issue with the way that he's running the club are a minority. And I think that it's, it's obviously clear to everyone now that that, that isn't the case. Um, I think he's having, having met him um, on, a, on a couple of occasions, he's very much a person that he, he, he doesn't, doesn't take criticism well mm. Uh, let, let's put it that way. Um, so I think when he's when he is backed into a corner as he has been in the last few weeks, it, he will retaliate. You know, and and, and even his, you know, you touched on his open letter. Even his open letter is is kind of a, um. He sort of started off by saying, you know, that, that this isn't this isn't really my doing. We know you're not happy. But then he's sort of gone into that, that middle part of the sandwich. I won't, I won't say what sort of sandwich, but the, 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 <laughs> he's gone into the middle piece and then said, well, you know, these are the mistakes that we've made. And then at the end of it, he's kind of gone back to saying, well, but it's the fans that are hurting the club. So even in his admission of guilt, he's not it wasn't really that much of an admission of guilt. It's more kind of, this is on you rather than on me.
0: I'm I, I worried for you, Steve, because I'm trying to find a way of saying this that won't get producer guy twitchy about legal issues, but he, he seems to me as an outsider to be a man who's running the club into the ground. I mean, he seems to be doing this deliberately. I mean, that's, that's the worry, and that must be the worry for Oldham fans, isn't it?
2: But he's always come out and said that, he, you know, he loves the club and he, and he fell in love with the club and he wants it to succeed. And But, but you know, he, he, with his actions, you know, he, he makes some... I mean, I admit that, that football's emotive, but he makes some terrible decisions mm. when it comes to the actual running of the football club you know you were touched on the North Stand before and the reason that the club don't get any in- match day income is that they could do but there's a service level agreement there that needs to be signed in order for them to do that and they refused to sign it so for the last two seasons they've not had any money on match days um, but that that could be going to the club mm. but his stubbornness won't allow that mm. you know we've, we've had over 100 players in the last three years as well and you know, we've sold one player for profit and part of his vision was to get players in, to sell them for profit and reinvest that money. But, you know, we've sold one, one player, George Edmondson, for profit and, and he was a product of the UT that was
0: in before he, before he turned up. Mm. I, I read a report by Mike Miney of BBC Radio Manchester which said that the supporters' foundation seemed to be more patient with him but you were, you were less tolerant, pushed the boundary, were less tolerant. W- what did he mean by that? And in general, are the fans united? I think, yeah. I mean, we
2: we were formed because, I guess to put it bluntly, because we didn't feel that that the trust were doing their job. Mm. Um, You know, they they they've got one sole job, and that is to stop us going into administration again. And and when we were in court in March 19, even even in the weeks in the build up to when we knew that we'd been served papers um, for lack of rent payments and and, and a a debenture that was sitting over the uh, over the club. Um, they still maintained that there, there wasn't really any issues uh, and that they were happy with the way that the club was being run and i know we've constantly been banging on their door to say um you know th- this is this is going to go south if we don't if we don't do something soon um and i think there's been some recent changes on the trust we've got new people in and, and and i think that's made a big difference and so we are very much on the same page now but i think the last sort of 18 months or so it has been quite it's been quite frustrating to get them so Mm. understand that how serious the situation mm. is
0: well the, the bad news is and again the guy will, will want me to say for some people it may be good news the bad news is that only three days ago Abdallah Sagar says he doesn't want to sell and hasn't received any offers to buy anyway so he's adamant that he wants to stay at the club and, and turn it into whatever success is for Oldham
2: yeah I mean he, he, he did say that um, I mean, we know that Bits have been made for the club. Um, oh, okay. You know, we, we know that bits have been made for circa one and a half million um, in the last 18 months or so. Um, and we know that these people are interested in buying the club as we speak. Um, I think it's his insistence of the, of the asking price that he wants for it. I mean, essentially, obviously, as we touched on before, we, we don't own the stadium. Mm. So you, you're, you're essentially buying the... Um, the golden share to the football league and and, and a badge,
0: sure.
2: um, and, and and the assets in terms of the players. Um, so so essentially a golden share and a badge. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you know from our perspective, it's a case of we have to keep putting the pressure on to say you know to accept one of these one of these bids, you know, or, or, or at least consider them because the value of the football club. He's not going to go up while he remains here. You know, he, he bought it for considerably less than 1.5 million, and that's when we were a, a, a low in the lower echelons of League League One. You know, now we're now we're propping up the entire football league, mm-hmm. so he um, can't expect to, you know, get a return on on
0: what he paid for it. Is 1.5 million the asking price, or is it more than that? Do you know?
2: I think that's that's kind of what. Well, one point five is obviously what people would will, will be willing to pay. Um, right. He, what we we've heard rumours that he's holding out for around five million. Right,
0: Okay, Kieran, um, sorry, Kieran, is that a realistic value on the club?
1: Uh, five million, no chance. Right. Um, you, you, they'd also be inheriting the debts of the club, uh, and as, as Steve says, they uh, they don't have any major assets yeah you know, by the sounds of it you know the, the if the playing squad was any good they wouldn't be propping up the rest of league 2 so there's no value there
0: yeah
1: nothing in the stadium you are paying for the prospect of getting to a higher division at a later date but it, it's uh, it, it's tough getting out of divisions as we know and it's costly
0: yeah
2: it, it's it's probably also worth pointing out that there was a and a Q&A, um some time ago where he he, he, he he valued the squad at something like 5 million. Um, and, and it turns out that he'd actually admitted that he'd got those values from the website, you know, the transfer market website.
0: <laughs> I don't know what um, these people do. You should just ask Kieran. It'd be much easier, these people. <laughs> uh, Steve, sorry, mate. I, was, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, Steve, was, uh, a chap called Chris England, who's a playwright and author. He's been an Oldham fan for... Probably two decades longer than you, and he was telling me that you've had no trophies, no promotions for thirty years, which is longer than anyone else. Only six top half finishes in that time, which is the worst in the league. But he wanted me to ask you if you think that things can change without dropping out of the league. Um, I think that
2: I think that it can. Um, you know, I think when you actually look at the football club. Um, there, there is still a hell of a lot of potential there. Um, I think if you if you can create a good working relationship with the landlord, ideally get it all under one umbrella, that would that would be perfect. You know the, the facilities are there and the fan base is there. You know Oldham's a town of two hundred fifty thousand people, mm. um, so there should be no issues in that respect. Um, but it, it won't be under his leadership, um, and I think it, it's. And it needs to happen quickly because I think with obviously with where we are at the moment and the performances on the pitch, it's, uh, it's only
0: going to go one way. Something needs to be done. How, how are local authorities, MPs, are they involved? Because we can't see another club in the North. We can't see Bury, Macclesfield and Oldham all going under because of you know, people standing by and letting it happen. So is, is there a wider campaign in the town against the owner? Um we're we're trying to do that, yeah. We we've we actually wrote to
2: um Angela Rayner um and we've we've had a meeting with her, we've also had a meeting with the other uh, local uh local MPs, so uh, Debbie Abram and Jim McMahon. Um so I think they've kind of got together um and written to the club to demand answers. Um as as far as I'm aware, they've ignored those letters. Mm. Um, but I mean that's that's the door that that we will keep banking on um, because it, it, you know as as with um, you know our success in the past and you look at other teams as well you know you, if a, if a if a team does well then a the town does well
0: yeah yeah um, there are I think two glimmers of hope. Well, more than that, I hope. There's way more than that. But two clubs, let's put it that way. Swindon Town have coming out of a situation similar to yours. Uh, uh, most of that down to the supporters. But you were away at Orient last week, and they had a really similar spell to you, didn't they? A 4th right like, stubborn owner, eleven managers, two relegations in three years. I think you've had nine managers, and, and and they came out of it. So it is possible. What what do you think the outcome will be, and what? What is the outcome you want? Um, I think the outcome will
2: be, uh, and I, I'm not sure about the time scale, but I think we have to keep keep that pressure on to let him know that this is going to keep happening until until he leaves the football club. Mm. You know, he needs to cash in his chips and walk away because this is not this is not going to work. It's never going to work with the plan that he's got. Um, and I think. If I'm being honest, he, he, whilst Abdallah owns the club, I think a lot of this is probably driven by his brother Mohammed, mm-hmm. uh, who who is the sporting director, who is responsible for signing these players, and 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 amazingly, seems to outlast all these managers that that have come to the club. Um, in, in I guess what is a, a show of amazing nepotism. <laughs> um, and, and I think if he gets if he gets bored with it, then I honestly think the owner will sell, and that and that's that's what we have
0: to keep. That's why we have to keep the pressure on. Well, we all have to keep the pressure on, Stephen. It's, it's it's one of the very many clubs. Again, one of the things I was talking to Chris about those sliding door moments. You, you're probably too young to remember, but the, the magic day of the semi-final in 1990 when you know Oldham played Man United and, and drew Palace played Liverpool. And if you if you'd predicted at that time which of those teams was going to be in trouble, you'd have said Palace because Oldham were an established team at that time, they were a Premier League team, really well run, well managed. And this is a, another tragic example of what happens to a club when the wrong people get hold of it. And and we're in a situation where a, a, a club like Oldham, in a proud football town like Oldham, was in danger of of going out of the league, and God forbid, even worse. So we're all we're all behind you, and anything we can do in your in your fight to get your club back, we will happily do it. Absolutely, thank you, and th- thanks for all your support so
2: far. I think I think to get it on a on a national national stage like it like it has been, I think is 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 part of the battle. You know, you don't know which potential in- investors are out there who, who would be listening and, and and wanting to get involved. So yeah, thank you for that. You're welcome. Good luck, Steve. Excellent. Thank you very much.
0: Kieran, obviously, you can you can hear the emotion and you can hear the, the worry. Uh, but luckily, EFL uh, have communicated with us about one of the issues, the recent um, deluge of tennis balls that were thrown onto the pitch at a game, which I thought was hilarious. I don't care what the commentator said about it being irresponsible. I thought it was very funny and a very gentle way of expressing protest. But I believe the EFL... Have disagreed with you saying the same thing.
1: Uh, yes, I, I did uh, receive communication from EFL and, and Fair Play. You know, they they they, uh, they are monitoring us, um, and it, it was that they they advised us that a tennis ball um, would fall within the definition of a missile, um, and therefore, uh, you know, under, under I think the Football Offensive Act, Football Offences Act. Uh, anybody caught throwing a tennis ball, in, in theory, uh, could uh, could could be brought before a, uh, a criminal court uh, and, and prosecuted. Um, so I, I think, yeah, we are duty bound to uh, uh, you know to pass that on. Um, I, I think, that, you know, perhaps their their priorities are are different to ours, and again, got to respect that. Uh, uh, you know and you know we we've seen we, we've seen recently how you know the use of missiles can can change things i am mean, i am not sure that the, the taliban popped down to their nearest <laughs> branch of jd sports <laughs> and cleared them you know cleared out the kabul uh the mm. kabul store of tennis balls and that made the uh you know made the existing authorities run away along with the uh, uh you know when the americans left but um it's uh it's an issue, but also, you know, we're talking about the football effect. Yeah, you know, the football offensive act. Or I can't remember the exact name of the act. Um, it's it, but if it's it seems to be football orientated. Yeah, you know, if if this was a different sport, um, you know, there would be a more relaxed approach. And once again, football fans are effectively being highlighted as mm. untrustworthy. Mm. Um, you know, I've uh, I've I've seen some very innovative, non-violent protests historically. I, I think uh at, you know at at Charlton that they, they threw plastic rubber ducks, or rather mm. no rubber ducks, in fact. You can not a plastic rubber duck, can you? <laughs> <laughs> They're thinking about it. Um and, and they and they lobbed loads of those onto the pitch. And and the aim was to highlight a cause for concern um in a peaceful manner um in a manner which does contain a degree of humor because i think as football fans we we are aware that there is a degree of prejudice against us from uh, certain certain outlets certain uh, certain political viewpoints and certain people other stakeholders in the football industry who mm-hmm. uh, you know think we should sit down shut up and uh, just take whatever they give to us if
0: if cricket fans threw tennis balls on a pitch at uh, a pigeon, Test Match Special would be talking about it for years. Um, I was going to say, say if tennis fans threw tennis balls on a... That would get a bit confusing. Um, I mean, it's it's the, the EFL right to point that out to you, Kieran, and, and of course, get into the hub of the matter as always. But uh, joking aside, it, 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 this is a really worrying situation. The, the bit that really stuck out for me was the... The difference in the the valuation that the owner has put on the club and the valuation that you think it has, and it's these these are ominous signs, Kieran, aren't they? There's, there's Berry Macclesfield alarm bells ringing all over the place here, aren't there?
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, the the, the northwest has been through a really tough period. Uh, you know, you, you you rightly highlight Berry and Macclesfield, which no longer exist. We nearly lost Bolton. Yeah. There's been issues at Rochdale, which yeah, uh, yeah. You know, appear to be uh, on, on the mend, but we still don't know who owns those 42% of shares. Yeah. Clearly, you know what happened at Wigan was a debacle as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think if, uh, if the owner wants to make progress – Sometimes you have to swallow pride, and sometimes it's ego, pride, and vanity which stop people doing the right thing. It, it's probably it's in it's in it's in his interests. Um, yeah, you know, we we don't condone the the abuse given to his brother, who's been in the directors' box, who's mm. effectively running the club uh, on a day to day basis. Football is an emotional game. Sometimes you know we we've got to just try to you know, keep on the right side of the line with with regards to those emotions, but. If, if you're not wanted somewhere and it's costing you money because Oldham is still losing money all the mm. time, then, then what's the point in continuing?
0: But also if you're visibly affecting the emotional well-being of, of 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 older fans around the world, as well as the economic well-being of the town, then forget your vanity and pride. Stop it. It's, it's, the football club is more important than you are. Um, if you'd like to make a contribution to our always free-to-air podcast, then that would be very kind of you. Please go to patreon.com forward slash and If you have a question for our questions pod, which is on Monday, then you need to email it to questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire and his dog, Finley for the customary farewell message.
1: Well, uh, once again, folks, thanks for the feedback. Uh, we, we do take notice. I'd, I'd like to apologize to the listener in Egypt who thought I was deliberately uh, mispronouncing Qatar. Um, I, I was just I'm just hopeless at pronunciation uh, a lot of the time. <laughs> um, and he gave us a one star review pure, purely on the basis of that. So uh yeah, you know, I'm, 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 my 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 head is duly hung in shame. Um, but if you if you want to help us uh, financially through uh, Patreon, it costs as little as a pound a month just to uh, to give us a little bit of support. But if you just want to uh, help help the uh, the podcast in terms of its profile and so on, if you can. Give us a, a five-star review. Uh, it, it makes a business uh, in terms of the charts, which uh, which is producer guy's side of the business, and and he tells us about it, and me and Kevin nod uh, in agreement, though we haven't got a clue what he's talking about. But apart from that, take care, look after yourselves, and uh, uh, for those of you who might be going to university in the next week or two, um, make, make the most of it. It's you know, all I can say for me, best three years of my life, And uh,
0: have a good time. What a lovely note to end on. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye.
2: son uh, for football.